Thank you, my brother. Thank you so much. You guys doing well today? Happy Easter. Just find two or three people. Say, Happy Easter. Happy Easter. It's probably somebody you don't know. Not too far away. Happy Easter. We are so glad that you are here. Good morning. It's good to be in the house of God, right? It's just me. I'm the only one happy about being at church. How many of you guys are happy to be at church today? Man, today's a good day to be at church. I'll be honest. I think Easter Sunday is one of my favorite days of the year, period. It is incredible. I love the reality of worshiping Christ with so many millions of believers all over the world. All, all reading, most of them reading the exact same passage, we're preaching and talking about the resurrection of Jesus, which how many of you guys know is just the best part of being a Christian? We don't serve a God that's dead and in the grave. We don't serve a God that's quiet and can't speak. We serve a God that is resurrected and that is alive, amen? And that is what Christianity really has going for it, Jesus. You know, there's a lot of religions out there that you could pick from, a lot of faith that you could try, you know, different expressions of spirituality. But if there is one thing that Christianity really has going for it, it's Jesus. And the best part of that is that he is alive and that he is here today in person to meet and to speak to you. He's not far away. He's not far off. He's not distant. He's not somebody that we have to beg to show up or somehow bribe to come here. He is here right now, ready to transform us by the power of his spirit and his love. And I think you should be happy about that. If you're happy, notify your face. Just smile at the person sitting next to you one more time. Say, happy Easter. This is a good day. This is a good day in the kingdom of God. If you have your Bible, I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of Matthew, and we're going to find chapter 28 in our Bible apps or in our Bible. And uh, man, Sean brought a physical sword to, well, a Bible. Whoever's, whoever's running security, don't tackle this man. All right, he got a, he's got a Bible. He's got a physical Bible. I love that. I love that. I think that you should be growing in relationship with your Bible. That's why I like having physical Bibles around. I, I read from physical Bibles in my office. I read the Book of Common Prayer in my office. And I like that because it helps me to develop a working, uh, an intimate relationship with the Word of God in my life. So I want to encourage you guys, if you haven't picked up a physical Bible in a while, it's always fun to do that. So if you brought that, good on you. If you have your Bible app, that's fine. If you don't have any of the above, any of the above, we have it on the screen. So we can all read it together, all right? So I did something first service. I wanna do it again this service if you guys uh, would be willing to indulge me. Just to stand up, please, because we're gonna read the word all together as a family today, as a church community, in concert, reading the word of God. How's that? Can, can, I, can I tell you guys why I want you to do this? Is because today I'm preaching from church calendar. And so all over the world, disciples of Christ in every nation, closed nations, open nations, in China, in Somalia, all over the world, the disciples of Christ are reading this exact same passage. And I want your voice to be in harmony with theirs as we sing a song of praise to the resurrected King on Easter. How's that sound? Is that going to be fun? So just unite your faith with your brothers and sisters all over the world. And let's say this together. 
Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. As he said, come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Amen, amen, and amen. So just hug a person next to you and be seated. So glad that you guys are in the house this morning for the word faithful through the fallout. Faithful through the fallout. My wife likes that title. See, my wife didn't hear me preach in the first service because she was serving in the children's ministry. So she's going to shout all of you guys out and you're going to hear her saying amen louder than anybody else. But so I want to challenge you, all right, to get with me on this message, faithful through the fallout. How many of you guys know Jesus is faithful? Amen. So let's just sort of set the stage for what exactly is happening in the story. It's actually the exact same day as today for us on the calendar in the week, which is Sunday. So these women, Mary Magdalene, she's leading the way, and she has a group of women with her. And it's just before dawn, you know, so it's probably about 4.30 in the morning, 5 o'clock in the morning. And they are making their way to the tomb of their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, a few days prior which we call Good Friday, was the day of Jesus's crucifixion and his death. And so in haste, you know, they removed Jesus from his cross and they buried him in Joseph's tomb. They quickly bandaged him. They didn't take all the time that would normally be taken to anoint his body, to spend time with his corpse and place him in the tomb properly in grieving. They did it hastily because the Sabbath was on its way. And they placed him in this tomb, which is not a grave like we know today, placing him in the ground six feet under, but they placed him in a tomb that was a sepulcher. And so what that is, it's a, it's a side of a mountain, basically, and it's a, it's a stone that's been honed out and a room that's been created for the corpse to lay down. And then a very, very heavy stone that 
takes a few soldiers, I would guess, to roll over and to close it up is where Jesus was placed on Friday evening, the day we consider to be Good Friday. And they made haste like that because Saturday was on its way. And in Jewish culture, Saturday is the Sabbath. So that's the day of required rest. Now, all of these women who were following Jesus and worshiped Jesus and knew Jesus, they were all observant Jews. So they observed and they participated in the day of rest, the Sabbath day. So on Saturday, they couldn't go to the tomb. They couldn't do any work. They couldn't anoint his body with spices or oils or anything like that. They simply stayed at home and they were anxious. They were awaiting the time that the sun would rise on the first day of the week and that they could go and bless Jesus. These women were deeply in love with Jesus. Did you notice that the Bible said that they were both afraid and had great joy when they saw the angel? It is only in things of the spirit can you be afraid and have great joy at the same time. Now, these women, they were on their way there because they were ready to anoint the body of Jesus. They loved Jesus very much, and they were in a hurry on their way there. Now, what I find fascinating about these women who are on their way to the tomb, which I want to say for the ladies, the women of God who are in here, how redemptive is this passage? I mean, you look in Genesis chapter 1 whenever sin and death entered the world through a woman, but yet you have here women now announcing the reign and the rule and the entry of life into the world through the resurrected Messiah. Hey, can all the women in here say amen? So you got these women, you know, you've got these faithful women of God. They're on their way to the tomb. They're anxious, they're joyful, and yet they're mourning because they're longing to see Jesus. They're sad, they have tears streaming down their face, and then, you know, they encounter this angel. But the thing is, is that none of the disciples were in the number. None of the 11, Judas is gone now, but none of the 11 are in the number of the women who are on their way to mourn at the tomb. Bible tells us that Peter now has gone back to fishing. That's what he used to do. That was his career prior to being a disciple. So he's gone back to fishing. The other disciples, they've deserted Jesus. They've gone on somewhere else. They're, they're hiding. They're doing their own thing. They're sad, but they're disappointed and they're gone away. I think it's very fascinating that the men, these disciples that walked so closely with Jesus Christ were the ones to desert him on the day of his death. I mean, can you think about that for a minute? He walked no closer than with the disciples for three and a half years. And yet on the day of Jesus's most troubled afternoon, when he's arrested, kidnapped, tried, hanged on a cross, then the disciples deserted. I mean, these are the guys who he spent time with. He shared meals with. He anointed them. He prayed over them. They raised the dead with him. They watched miracles take place. He washed their feet just the night before. And yet these were the men that, that deserted him. So they weren't, even, they weren't even with the women. They were gone on. They were doing something completely different. No one has ever walked any closer with Jesus than his disciples. And yet they forgot the promises of God over their life. We read from the book of Matthew today. And three times in the book of Matthew, the apostle records three separate prophetic words from Jesus about the fact that he would die on a cross and be resurrected on the third day. And in a matter of days, the people who walked closest to him were the ones to quickest forget his promises. 
Isn't that, isn't that interesting? Because as people of God, we can walk so closely with Jesus. We can become so connected with the Christ. And yet in a matter of days, we can be tempted to walk away and forget the promises of God over our lives. Isn't that fascinating that all it would take was just a few days? Now, see, some of you guys in here, I know that you've had that experience because I've had that experience before. You know, you were a rowdy Christian, perhaps. Maybe you were the star of the youth group. Maybe you were the one that used to travel around and go to all the conferences. You were the first one to run to the stage when worship happened. But then when you got into a troubled season, you, you, you became a deserted disciple and you, and you ran off. I, mean, I know what that's like, and I know what it's like to be called in the same way the disciples were called. Jesus, you know, when he called his disciples, he, he, you know, he's walking on the shoreline, and he points out, and he says, come and follow me. You guys remember that? So I remember I had a come and follow me experience, personally. I was about 13 years old, and some of you guys, you have no clue where I grew up, because I grew up in the middle of a bean field, in McLean County, Kentucky. How many of you guys know where McLean County is? Only my brother. <laughs> it has one stoplight in the entire county. We didn't even have a McDonald's, all right? We didn't have a movie theater. We had a Taco Bell, and it lasted two years. All right, so yeah, that's where I grew up, all right? It was 90% farmland, and the entire county was only 10,000 people. But my parents, man, they, they, they planted this church as really a hub of revival. And there was about 300 people that were there. And I remember we called some special services. Anybody ever been to an old-time revival? Yeah. Hey, I'm telling you guys, I'm about ready for us to have an old-time revival. Let's just, we just, just every night. I hated that as a kid. Just every night. Again? You know, and my dad was like, you got two choices. One, you get in the van, go to church. Two, you get spanked. Then you get in the van and go to church. <laughs> okay, choice one. So, you know, one night we were having a revival, and, and I'll never forget you guys. I, I, know, I know where I was sitting. I was on like the fourth row on this side, right over here where you guys are. And uh, I was pretending not to listen to the preacher. Anybody, some of you guys are doing that right now. So... You know, I was, I was drawing a picture. That's what I was doing because that's what I would do in church as kind of a distraction because I really didn't want to hear what the preacher had to say because I didn't want to hear from God because I didn't want to be responsible for what he spoke to me. That's why some people don't read the Bible because they don't want to be responsible for what God speaks to them through the word. And so that was me. You know, I was about 13 years old. I was over here on this side. And I said, man, I, you know, I don't want to hear this guy. And this guy, his name was, was pastor or reverend or evangelist. I can't remember his title, but his name was George Hancock. I do remember that. And he got down off the stairs and he was walking through the church. He was walking right through the middle and he was looking out over at different people and he was calling them out. And by the wisdom of the spirit, he began to pray over them and he began to declare prophecies and promises and blessings from the Lord that were on their way. And in the midst of me sitting there drawing my picture, pretending like I you know, wasn't paying any attention at all, I, I felt this gentle nudge from the Holy Spirit. I felt God just kind of whisper into my ear. He said, you see that? That's what you're called to do. You're called to preach. And I said, mm -mm, no way, no how, I will never preach. Guess who lost that deal? And so I go back to, uh, 
to drawing, and I'm, I'm not kidding y'all, this is exactly what I said. Preachers don't make no money. <laughs> that's, that's a, you you got to get paid in love if you're going to go into full-time ministry. And so, so, I'm, so I'm, that's what Heidi says. So I'm drawing this picture, you know, and I'm like, no, no, there's no way. I'm, I'm, I'm never going to preach. I'm, I'm never going to do that. There's no way. I'm, I'm, nuh-uh, not a chance. No way, no how. And I can really trace back my time away from Jesus, which was pretty much the entirety of my teenage life. I mean, at 13 years old, right there in that moment, at that time, at that revival meeting, guys, I can honestly trace back that as being the moment that I stepped away and walked away from Jesus Christ. Like I really, I, I mean it, I can trace it back to that very moment. And so I spent nearly a decade trying to convince myself that I had somehow distanced myself enough from his love to forget about my calling. Uh, you know, and I, I, I embraced sin. I ran in the opposite direction of Jesus, not because I wanted to be a sinner. It's because I did not want to embrace my calling. And I think that a lot of people are stuck in cycles of sin, not because they want to sin, but because they're afraid of saying yes to what they're called to do. I think there's a lot of people even in here today, you know you've been called, you know you've been anointed, you know you've been appointed, God has called you out, God has told you what you're called to do, but you're stuck in a pattern of sin, not because you want to be, but because you're afraid of submitting to God and participating in the calling of God on your life. You know, there's some people who are sinning, not because they want to be sinners, but because they're called. And they're like, nah, I'm sinning because sinning is the only thing that takes the edge off. Sin is the only thing that can numb the pain enough to help me to forget what God spoke to me. You know, sin is really the only thing that I can do that will make me feel good enough temporarily that can convince my soul that God really didn't speak to me when he did. And that's why some people are just simply stuck in patterns of sin. It's not because you're called to be a sinner. It's because you're called to be righteous and you just don't want to trade in your ways for his ways. That's it. I'm just, you know, this is where I got to be. This is where I got to stay. I got to sin for that reason. Not wanting to give in. You know, and I, I, I think about the disciples, you know, who deserted these women. You know, they weren't around. They deserted the Messiah. You know, I think some of us also, we get stuck in patterns or cycles of sin, not just because we're called, but we get stuck in patterns of sin because we're angry. Can you imagine how the disciples felt after all of those prophetic words that Jesus gave? After three and a half years of all these miracles and all these things that he declared and all these things that he said and all these promises that he gave them, and here he was, dead and buried and sealed in a tomb. What about all my promises, God? What about all those things that you spoke to me about? What about all those prophetic words that I got when I was a kid? It seems like you're dead. I'm mad. I'm angry. I'm deserting church, God, Jesus. I don't want any part of that because it's obvious none of that's going to happen. Jesus has stopped talking. He has died in my life. I think some people honestly are just, they're stuck in sin simply because they're angry. They're mad that they have, they have not seen the very promises of God that have been spoken over their life come to pass in their time. So they've, deser they've deserted God and become a deserted disciple. 
Man, I, you know, the timing of God is just fascinating. I was thinking about that just a minute ago as I was preparing to get up here. And, and I was thinking about how often we say that we're family. And I was thinking about all the things that we could do, you know, next year for Easter. I, I ain't gonna lie to you. I was up here. I was like, man, you know, next year, man, we should rent out War Memorial Auditorium. Like, I bet we could, I bet we could like get 100 people saved or 500 people saved. Or, you know, I'm just sitting, I'm just dreaming with the Lord, you know. And, and I thought, I said, man, sometimes we move so slow. And I felt like the Holy Spirit whispered to me, he said, isn't that the pace of family? Wow. <laughs> and I thought, man, yeah, I guess it is really, you know, because <laughs> if you don't know what I'm talking about, then you don't have a two-year-old because you can only move as fast as he goes. And it's not enough just for a few of us to go fast in the spirit and leave the rest of you behind. We got to travel together as a family and as a community towards the resurrected Christ. So, so just look at your neighbor and say, be patient. Be patient. Some people are, are, are stuck in sin because, because they're angry with God and his timing. They're not patient. They're mad. They're upset. They're angry. And you know, honestly, I think some people are stuck in cycles of sin because they're heartbroken. You know, I mean, think about the women who are on their way to the tomb. They are grieving. They are afraid. They are scared. They are sad. They are in mourning, but they're in a hurry. They're on their way to the tomb. And these women, they're heartbroken. You know, one of the things that we forget all the time is that the death of Jesus Christ was the death of Mary's son. You got to remember that. You got to think about that. Yes, his dad was God the father, but his mama was Mary. She, she was impregnated with this child. She carried this child for nine months. She dealt with the body aches and the body pain and the sleepless night. She dealt with the labor pains. She dealt with the birthing process. She gave birth to Jesus Christ. And I don't know if you've ever lived with a pregnant woman before, but I can promise you it's not always pleasant. <laughs> You know, I just wonder, was Joseph on his way to Sonic at 1 a.m. to get a Coney and a, and a Route 44 ice? You know, because that's what I was doing. You know, we can't, we can't forget that Mary birthed that boy. Mary birthed the Son of God, Jesus Christ. She, she nursed him. She watched him. She protected him. She disciplined him. She loved him. She served him. She cried over him. She spanked his little butt. <laughs> so consider how Mary felt standing in, the front, in front of the cross, maybe arm in arm with the disciple John, looking up, not just at the Messiah, but at her baby boy. Can you imagine the memories that were flashing in her mind? Yeah, she saw him. He was about 33 when he was crucified, but I bet you that she couldn't stop thinking about what he looked like when he was three months, what he looked like when he was two, what he looked like when he was 10, all the stories, everything that they shared, all the moments that they had. And here she is, had walked close with Jesus, but she was heartbroken. She was torn in two. She had done everything for him and look where it got her standing before the cross with the sword piercing her very soul. That's what Simeon prophesied to her on the day of Jesus' dedication. So some people, man, I think they're stuck in sin, not because they're called, not because they're angry, but because they're heartbroken. They're sad. Maybe, they, maybe you lost a child. 
Maybe you lost a friend in an accident. Maybe you lost a sibling who died long before they should have to a disease or to cancer or to leukemia. Maybe you lost a parent long before you should have. You didn't deserve that. And you're heartbroken and you're angry and you're upset. And maybe you're simply caught in sin and the cycle of sin, not because you're called, you know that, but because you're heartbroken. I would bet you that Mary was heartbroken. Would you guys agree? The women that were on their way to the tomb, they were grieving, but it wasn't just the Messiah. It was also their friend. It was also a loved one. And you know, there's many reasons why we might turn our back on God. You, you, you might turn your back on God because you're angry. You might turn your back on God because you're heartbroken. You might turn your back on God because you don't feel like he fulfilled you know, his promises in your life at the right time. There's many reasons why we might turn our backs on God. But I, wanna, I want you guys to know something, that despite the fact that we might turn our back on God, that is not something that God has not dealt with before. God has dealt with this and he knows how to deal with this. On the night that Jesus was arrested, the Bible tells us that all of the disciples left. Every single one of them, all of the 12 that walked closely with him, they all ran from him. When times got tough, they all turned their backs. You know, the Bible only says that it was just John. John was the only one who stayed with him whenever Jesus was being crucified. None of the disciples made the funeral. When Jesus was resurrected, raised back to life, the angel had to tell the women to go get the disciples so that the disciples could come back and meet Jesus. And in one version of the gospel, it actually tells us that the angel spoke to the women and said, go and get his disciples and, everybody say and, and. Peter. Isn't that fascinating? That, that Peter was so far removed from the 12 that the angel had to tell the women, go and get his disciples and Peter. Peter wasn't even in the group anymore. He was so disconnected. He was so deserted from the group of the disciples that he had to be called out by name. Hey, don't forget Peter too. I know he's exited the group. I know he said that he don't like Jesus anymore. I know he said that he don't want to be a part of church anymore. I know he's posted on Facebook that he's really salty about who won the election. But go and get him. Go and get him. He's mad at God. You know, he's stuck in cycle of sin. Go and get him too. Yeah, that guy who deserted, who left everything, go and get him. And what's crazy is that Peter was the most passionate. He was the one that, that God said, you know what? You're going to be the first church planter in my kingdom. I'm going to build my church on you. Peter was a pastor. Peter was a man of God. Peter had authority. Peter was exalted. And this is the man that is so far from God that he has to call him out by name. It's fascinating, right? That's where he was. He was most passionate. And so there are, there are many reasons why we may turn our back on God. And every single one of the disciples did. But here's the good news. God never turned his back on us. Amen. Amen. Hey, Philip, come up here. I want to give, give a little example real quick. So... I'm going to use Philip because I feel, like, I feel like this is kind of what we think happens when we walk away from God. So, Philip, just stand right here, man, real quick. And, you know, Philip is going to be Jesus, okay? All right, so <laughs> Philip, Philip is going to be Jesus today, all right? So this is good. 
And so, you know, we walk with Jesus and, uh, you know, we get saved and we start walking with Jesus. You know, Jesus, he leads us. He, you know, he's doing miracles. He's preaching the gospel. He's raising the dead and we're passionate. Jesus, I am passionate about you. I am so passionate about you. I love you. Right? And so when we, you know, perhaps we become a deserted disciple, we leave in the same way that the disciples left. And here's how we think that that goes, okay? So Jesus is there. We've been following Jesus for quite some time. And so you stay right here. And uh, Jesus, you know, I'm going to take a little time off. And then we start walking away. We start leaving the faith. You know, we make an exit out of church and everything. And we say, you know what, man? I'm just stuck in this cycle of sin. I'm angry. I'm mad. I'm discouraged. I'm disappointed. I'm heartbroken. And then we look back at Jesus and we say, man, it's going to take me forever to get back to God. I don't know if I can do it. I don't, I don't think I'm going to be able to make it. Imagine how much ground I'm going to have to cover, how many sacrifices I'm going to have to make, how many changes I'm going to have to make to my behavior, how many tweaks I'm going to have to make to my theology. What am I going to do about my philosophy and my ideas? And how about my friends and all the other things that have pushed me and, and created all this space between me and Jesus? But see, here's the reality. Whenever you walk away from Jesus, this is what it looks like. You got me? Gotcha. All right. I'm walking away from Jesus. Man, I'm mad. I'm heartbroken. I'm upset. I'm angry. I'm upset with God. I can't believe those promises didn't happen. I can't believe that that person, uh, you know, they gossiped about me. My heart is broken. I can't believe it. I don't know how I'm going to turn around. I don't know how I'm going to make it all the way back. Oh, he's there. He's right there. Jesus. Thank you, my bro. See, when you think that you've turned your back on God, you need to be reminded that God has not turned his back on you. You know, when you think that you're running in the opposite direction of Jesus, really what's happening is Jesus is running in the direction of you. You did not get saved because you gave your life to God. You got saved because God gave his life to you. You don't have to make up any ground. You don't have to you know, change this and change that. You simply have to make a decision to embrace him. And that's exactly what the women did. And when they talked to this angel, you know, the, the, the angel said, hey, listen, um, don't be afraid. That's, that's what the angel said. And it's funny because when the women met with Jesus, the very first thing that Jesus said was, don't be afraid. And they needed to be told that because they saw soldiers fall on their faces and begin to tremble in fear. Now, how many of you guys know, these were the best soldiers for the job. They were aware of the promises that Jesus had made. They were aware of the prophecies that the Messiah had spoken on his way into Jerusalem. They said, hey, we're going to put our best men on the job, our strongest, our most powerful. We're going to deck them out in the best armor. We're going to load them down with all the, all, all the heaviest weapons. And they're going to guard that tomb because that is not going to happen. We're not going to let the disciples sneak in and, and steal that corpse and, you know, say, ah, you see what happened? We're not going to let that happen. We're going to put our strongest military forces right in front. And when the women showed up, they saw the strongest men in the city shaking and trembling in fear because of the encounter with the angels. And I know some, I, you know, I know some people, they, they play that game. I'm, I'm strong. Mm -mm, I ain't going to give up. I'm not going to let go. I'm not going to give in to my call. I, uh, uh, not me. 
And you may, be, you may be a tough guy. You may have a personality to protect, but you see what happened to them. And they fell down and they were trembling in fear. And yet contrast that with the outlook of the women. They were tempted to be afraid at first, but the angel said, don't be afraid. And they showed us the disposition of a disciple, which is heavenly confidence because the resurrection of Christ is the terror of his enemies, but the confidence of his friends. Don't be afraid. He's risen. Now go and tell the disciples. Go and tell the disciples. Jesus didn't exit the tomb with a plan to be upset and to go find his disciples and convince them of their sin and how they had done wrongly. Jesus came out of the tomb with an assignment to show them how great his love was in fact. That even when they deserted, when times were the toughest, and even when they didn't come to his funeral, he shows us what forgiveness is like. And even when the women began to worship him and, 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 and praise him and, and talk to him, undoubtedly they wanted to keep him. But Jesus says, no, let me go. I got to go ahead. I got to move on. See, even in his resurrection, the first thing he does is resume who he is as the chief shepherd. He leads the way. He goes to prepare a place. He says, I'm on my way to a location. You got to get my disciples and tell them because I long to be reunited with my friends. Notice what he addresses them. He doesn't say, hey, man, they're deserters. Hey, man, they're, you know, they're exiles. Hey, man, they're anarchists. Hey, man, they're backstabbers. Hey, man. No, he says, go and tell my brothers. Jesus addresses them according to their identity in him. And he says, it doesn't matter that you turned away two days ago. What matters is that my love is turned on towards you today. And I call you brother. Other people may have called you something else, but I call you brother. Go and tell my brothers. So Jesus, he's teaching us what it really means to be a Christian. He's teaching us what it looks like to truly forgive. He's teaching us that his love that was poured out on the cross was enough to bring you back into the family even whenever you disowned everyone else. I don't want no part of that. I'm angry. I'm heartbroken. But see, that's what Jesus does. He forgives through the fallout. He's faithful through the fallout. And, and you know, you got, you, so these women, you know, they, they, they're on their way. You know, they're on their way to tell somebody else about the resurrection of Jesus. And that's the way it works typically is that you'll have a lot of your encounters on your way to tell somebody else about the Lord. Some of y'all can't figure out why you ain't having encounters because you're only coming to church. But, but when you step out, and begin to tell somebody about Jesus. It's so funny how it works that Jesus will actually impede your way. <laughs> oh, y'all ain't with me. He'll, he'll actually say, oh, you weren't expecting this? Let me actually get in your way as you're going to tell somebody else about Jesus. Jesus loves an evangelist. He can't help but to encounter an evangelist. He gets in the way. And you, what does he say? Greetings. And you, can you imagine where they had to pick their jaw up off the ground? There's the Messiah. What? There's Jesus Christ. And see, you know, John, the way John records it, you know, Jesus says, hey, let go of me, woman. Don't take hold of me. You cannot touch me yet. 
But see, she ignores those boundaries and she can't go back to the way that she used to worship Jesus before he came out of the tomb. She runs forth and she grabs him by the ankle and she begins to take hold and begin to worship him as not just the crucified king, but the resurrected Lord. And she takes hold. She takes hold and Christ said, don't be afraid. He said, greetings. Another translation says, all hail. You know, we sing that song, all hail, King Jesus. All hail. But here's what it means. Rejoice. Rejoice. That's what Jesus says when these, these ladies, they take hold. He says, rejoice. Rejoice. Because I know in your history books, you read about that moment when God said, let there be light on the first day of creation. And I am that light. I am the light of the world that on the first day of the week, I opened the seal of the tomb and I walked out and I said, let there be light. There was darkness before, but now I'm here and now I'm the light. Rejoice because grace is upon you. Joy is within you. Salvation is for you. Rejoice. It doesn't matter how far you strayed. It doesn't matter how far you've gone. It doesn't matter how far you've tried to run away. Jesus is with you today. And I feel that the word of the Lord over you today is rejoice. Even the tendency to shame yourself for what you've done wrong is not what God is asking you to do because he's not turning your attention to your sin. He's turning your attention to his grace. When he looks at you, he doesn't even see your sin. He sees the blood of his son. And he said, come on through, come on through, come on in. You said, yeah, but I'm messed up, Lord. Don't you see? I got this and I got that. He said, I see the blood of my son, which gives you access. Come in, come through. <laughs> so here's what I want to do today, guys. I, I, I want to ask you just to stay sitting for now. And, and, and the reason why is because I, I'm going to create an opportunity just for courageous devotion today. You know, some of us, we've, we've taken a step back from God. We've, we've really said, nah, I'm mad, I'm angry. My words haven't happened. He hasn't kept his promises. I'm heartbroken. I'm upset about the things that have happened in my life or maybe even more, man, I'm called and I hate that. And I'm just coming to church out of routine, but I don't want anything to do with my call. Or maybe you're here for the first time today and somebody brought you and you did not expect to meet Jesus, but Jesus has unexpectedly showed up in front of you. And so if you fit into any of those categories and you simply want to take hold of Jesus today, maybe for the first time, or you wanna recommit your life to him this morning, I wanna ask you to courageously just stand up right where you are because we're gonna pray for you together as a family. Awesome. Awesome. Anybody else? We have one. We're going to pray. We're going to gather around you too. Amazing. Awesome. We're going to pray for you right now. This is your homecoming. This is a celebration. This is, you know, this is nothing to be discouraged about. This is your celebration. So what I want you guys to do, I want you to gather around the, the people around, gather around and put hand and lay a hand on their shoulder. There's one back here as well. Lay a hand on their shoulder. Today is their homecoming and we're going to rejoice with them. As you gather around them, 
Just say this to him. Just whisper it to him. Just say, welcome home. Come on, just tell him again. Say, welcome home. Welcome home. Jesus, we love you. And we thank you that today is the day of salvation. That today is the day of freedom for these women of God. I thank you that today is the day that they grab hold of you to never let you go. And you speak into their heart, rejoice. All of their shame falls to the floor before you and you release salvation and joy to them this morning in the name of Jesus. And I just want to create space right now. If anybody else wants to stand, just go ahead and stand up right now. We're going to pray for you. So now let's all stand, please. And we're all going to pray together. We say, Jesus, we take hold of you today. We choose to rejoice. We thank you for dying on the cross for our sin. We repent and we say, it is only you that has the power to forgive and to save. So we come home today. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So I want you just to grab a neighbor by the hand. We're gonna dismiss now, but before we do, I, I really just want us to have a family moment before the Lord. And, and for those of you ladies who stood, I wanna ask you to please come up afterwards. We have, a, I, w- I wanna bless you with a new Bible and, and just hug your neck and welcome you. say thank you it's you know it's it's the courage will you guys allow me just to do one thing real quick it's 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 the courage of the women you know I, I really think there's something to that to be honest with you it really is because you know in the same way you know that that death entered through Eve there was a message of downfall that came through the first woman. But then see here in the New Testament, under the new covenant, life and the message of salvation came first through the women. Women, you have been redeemed by the blood of the lamb from the curse of the fall. And anything that would tell you that you are somehow some second-class citizen in the order of God and the kingdom and that you can't lead or that you can't be in ministry or that you can't prophesy or that you can't operate or flow in the gifts of the Spirit and what you're called to do, we as a family right now choose to champion you and say thank you for your bravery and for your courage. And we will not shut you down. We will lift you up. If we're going to have a family expression of the kingdom of God in our church, then we need the righteous women to stand up as they did today and take their place in the family.
so we bless the women of God right now. And this is how we're going to close. When we close, Asif, you're going to close this, so come on up, man. But how we're going to close, Asif is going to give you a few instructions real quick. But when he's finished, I want you guys just about find like five women and just say, thank you. Thank you for the message. Thank you for your courage. Will you do that? If you're a woman, just find other women. All right. Y'all's hands getting sweaty yet? That's all right. See, it's good. That's family. That's family. Family is in the funk. Family's in the stench. That's true. That's the truth. That's the truth. But you know, that's where life is too. Yep. That's true. Yep. That's real. I'm going to stay here until it gets awkward. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Jesus, we bless the people of God today. We thank you so much for your blessing and your faithfulness to forgive us, even when we fall out with you and with one another. We ask that you teach us how to forgive, that we may embody the age to come in our family, in our faith, and in our city. Lord, we say, lift up the light of your countenance upon your people and give them peace. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen, amen. amen. Why don't we give a round of applause to our pastor? It's amazing. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Church, that was awesome. It didn't matter what part of the walk in Christ you were in, I think we all identified it with. There's death and there's life. Thanks, Pastor Lyle, for that again. And listen, church, we love you so much. We're so happy that you joined us for Easter Sunday. And uh, the good thing about Easter is it's, you know, around the world, it's just one day on a calendar. But for us, it's a daily, daily living. Easter is life. Amen. Celebration of Jesus on the cross, and he resurrected again. Thank you, Lord. Bless this family, and we send them off in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Hug somebody. Ministry team, come forward. And if you need any prayer at all, come forward. Get some prayer. We love you guys. Bless you.